Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 51 as we continue to make our way through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 51, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses today. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer again and let's ask for His help as we open His Word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word, we come to again to this prophet that said so many things about You and yet lived so long before You came. He longed to see Your day. We too long to see your return. And so as we read your word, we pray that you would help us. That you would convict us of those sins that we have when we hope in other things besides you. That you would also show us the joy that we, that awaits us and how to faithfully wait for your return. We pray that you would guide us in your wisdom, lead us to the truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this, it reminded me, and we've kind of seen this several times in this book so far, particularly in the last several chapters, about this idea of of a pilgrimage and as a kid, there were certain places that I went to regularly, but I didn't go to often. That makes sense. There was regular intervals that we went to these places. When I arrived at those places, the feelings oftentimes would be overwhelming. Whether it was from the buildup of memories that I had in those places, or just the feelings associated with the time and the place, whatever it was, it was very much kind of a pilgrimage experience for me. When I was a really young kid, it was going to my aunt's house for Christmas time. There's all of these things that kind of signal the excitement associated with Christmas and going to her house and being just this whole thing, this whole feeling. When I, as I grew older, and even really younger, when I was younger too, it was going to Bush Stadium to watch the Cardinals play. I would be overwhelmed by all the sounds and the smells and everything associated with the ballpark. It was kind of a religious kind of experience for me. Um, still feel some of that today, though it's largely been demystified with age and with some of the decisions the Cardinals make. Um, but I still feel that, right? I still feel this kind of excitement. You probably have something that fits in that category for you. It's a normal part of the human experience that we have. You see that same kind of thing throughout history even and really throughout the Scriptures. For Israel... There were certain feasts that all of God's people, wherever they live, the expectation was is that during those times of year for those feasts that they would travel to the temple and they would celebrate the things that the feast signified. Those three feasts are known as the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. Sometimes they have other names, but those are some kind of the most common names. Each one having a special significance for God's people. 
And they would travel in large groups together, typically with family and friends, because it was cheaper to travel that way. And the whole way, they would enjoy one another's company. They would they would eat certain kinds of things. They would sing certain songs. It was a general time of celebration, remembering God's covenant faithfulness to His covenant people. And so as we get in our text today, we feel that same kind of anticipation But it's another kind of pilgrimage. It has to do with Israel returning to their land from exile in Babylon. They await with eager expectation the time that they can return and worship in the temple, sing their songs together, eat at their feasts together, and demonstrate the promises of God. Yet because of their exile, they had to, they had these doubts and they had concerns so in our text you're going to see that kind of tension ones who desired to return home but could not return home yet we experience the same kind of thing as believers here on earth today we we await the return of christ so he can bring us to the place that he prepares for us even now yet he has a work for us to do on this earth so we wait But we don't always wait with patience. So we consider the theme of this text. I want to break it up into three points. And to give credit where credit is due, I'm borrowing those three points from a sentence that one of the commentators that I'm reading said in his commentary. His name is Barry Webb. Very good commentary. Easy to read sort of commentary on the book of Isaiah. I think it's called like Let's Study Isaiah or something like that. So it even has a nice title. And he said this. He said, it is about a pilgrimage to Zion. The pilgrims themselves, the doubts that trouble them, the faith that sustains them, and the joy that awaits them at journey's end. So thank you, Mr. Webb. My three points are the doubts that trouble, the faith that sustains, and the joy that awaits. So with that, let's look together at God's Word, Isaiah chapter 51, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Holy Word. Isaiah 51, starting at verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you, for he was but one when I when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands, the coastlands hope for me, and for, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my, is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their 
revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab into pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep? who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness with joy and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So last week we looked at another one of the servant songs. We're getting ready to do that as we get into chapter 52 in the coming weeks, getting ready to see the last of the servant songs, which is a couple chapters long. And the idea is here to show God's faithfulness to keep his promise. It showed that in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The hope doesn't change as we go from one place in the scripture to the next. The hope is still the same. And so today we're going to see the same hope that we had last week, and that is Christ. That won't change from week to week here. Yet, as we come to this text today, we are given a reminder of how God has kept his promises throughout the history of Israel. We see allusions to their beginning, some of the most important moments that they had. All of those things pointing to God's faithfulness. God's covenant faithfulness, of course, finds its ultimate fulfillment in the work of Jesus Christ. And this isn't only a future thing at all. It wasn't for Israel then either. They were supposed to have hope then and understand that then. The fact that God's promises are true should affect the way that we live today. That commentator that I mentioned earlier, Barry Webb, says in his commentary, and it's something that we say here all the time, he just says it in a different way. He says, the expectation of what God will do in the future should profoundly affect the way that we look at the present. And it's absolutely true. Yet, we still still have doubts, and we see that in Israel, and so that brings us to our first point, the doubts that trouble so again, look at verse, just look at verse 11 real quick at the end, just so we can understand what's going on. We see a picture of the people returning back to Zion. The ransom of the Lord shall return, shall come to Zion with singing. The idea here is that they're coming back from a time of exile. And so this is the, this is the overall picture of this text. And it says they're returning to, to Zion, which again is just another word for Jerusalem. And when they thought of Jerusalem, it meant lots of things. It wasn't merely just a city to them. It meant all the feasts that they were missing out on. All the temple worship and the songs and the reading of God's word and the hearing of his faithfulness. They weren't allowed to do these things when they were in Babylon. For many who made the trip to to Babylon from Jerusalem, just think about this. Many who made that, they had or who were going to go back to Jerusalem, they had never experienced these things at all. They had only heard of them. They were in exile for a long time. You know, when I was a kid and I would watch the Cardinals and hear on TV and I would hear stories about going to watch them, I 
my grandmother was a big Cardinals fan, and she would always tell me about all these these Cardinal greats and tell me about how awesome it was. And so she had built this up to where it was just this almost like this kingdom in the sky that I was going to go see. And so when I got there, it was incredible, right? It, it, it seemed to match all the things that I had ever been told about it. And so imagine here this kind of build up also. The people were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. So only the oldest people among them would have remembered what it was like in those days prior to the exile. So the stories about the good old days must have just seemed like myth and legend to some of the younger people who had never experienced them. And so when we read verse 3 of Isaiah 51, it kind of gives us a little bit more understanding of what's going on. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. Makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. It shows us what all this doubt must have felt like. Waste places, wilderness, desert. These are words that point to desolation and hopelessness. Be really easy. It would be really easy to have focused on those sorts of things in their day. And I can't imagine being in a desert. I've been to a desert, but I like went and got back in a car that had air conditioner. I didn't have to worry about the elements. I didn't have to worry about things like you know heat and thirst and just the general danger of being exposed to the elements. But they had this whole time that they were in the desert, and then they felt as though. They were living there constantly. So it would have been a very difficult idea for them to get past this feeling of hopelessness. Remember, Isaiah is writing this 150 years before Babylon would even come and take them into exile. Much less to a people who were finally going to get to come home. It's going to be many, many years later. And so to get an idea of what the exile must have felt like, you have to read books like Daniel. When he was in the midst of the exile, right? And you know some of Daniel's stories. Or to get a more prophetic stance on that, you look at a book like Ezekiel. These are great books of what it must have been like to be God's people and live through the time of exile. But another one that we can look at too is the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied before the exile. He told the people of God, this is what it's going to be like. When you get sent into exile, this is what it's going to be like. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah is right next door to Isaiah. It's a really big book. Jeremiah 25. I'm going to read just an excerpt here. Verses 8 through 12. I encourage you to go back and read this whole section for broader context to get the idea. But I think we can see enough here in Jeremiah 25 verse, starting at verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, I will bring them against the land and in its inhabitants against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them. This is talking about his own people. I will banish from them the voice of mirth the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone at the light of the lamp. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste 
and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I shall punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquities, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Jeremiah died right before the exile, a couple years before uh, Israel was sent, or Judah was sent into exile from Babylon. But he prophesied here in multiple places, we're going to see, there was going to be 70 years of exile because they would not listen. The Lord used similar, similar language in Isaiah 51, that he was going to make the land a waste, even though he was going to comfort them when they were in that waste. And understand this for ourselves, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not still on earth as a punishment at all. Much of the hardship and the difficulty that we face on earth does have to do with our own sin because of our own foolishness. But there are lots of things that don't. There are lots of things that have nothing to do with our sin. Physical ailments, some things that just happen in the world that seemingly have no purpose to them. But we know that that purpose is rooted in God and it's still difficult for us to understand The fact that there is the curse of sin on the earth, we see this all the time, and we await the day that the Lord will finally come and redeem creation. But until then, we're going to have trouble. Until then, we're going to experience doubt. In Jeremiah's day, there were actually prophets who rose up and who said, the Lord isn't going to do these things. Don't listen to Jeremiah. He's only doom and gloom. Don't listen to Jeremiah. The Lord isn't going to do these things. We're not going to go into exile. Everything's going to be okay. Bet you've heard that before. In our own day, we have people who say similar things. That difficult things are on earth are just there because we, you know, maybe we don't have enough faith or we haven't given them enough money or probably some combination of both. Yet in Isaiah 51, we don't see... The Lord ignoring the waste places or the wilderness. They exist. It's not as if they don't exist. He's somehow just ignoring them, passing over them, or that they don't exist at all. If people would just give more money and feel better, it'd be okay. No, these things are real. And so yet, what does the Lord do? He goes and he comforts his people in the midst of those waste places and wildernesses. As we deal with difficulty... Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must understand the truth that we have at our disposal. It is not a truth that eliminates difficult things, but it's a truth that shows that one day they will be eliminated. We have hope in the one who can and will do those things. And that brings us to the faith that sustains. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 51. Listen to me. You who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, to to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. And then he goes on, we've read this, that the Lord comforts Zion. He, He comforts all her waste places, makes her wildernesses like Eden. Desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of her song. So who's he talking to here? Notice he addresses a certain kind of people. For those who pursue righteousness and seek the Lord. 
He is talking to the people of God. We know from all kinds of places in Scripture, Romans 3 is the one that I think about the most, that the the people who aren't God's people, they're not going to seek after their Lord. They're not going to pursue righteousness. And so he's talking to his own covenant people here. What should we do in those difficult times? Well, we should remember his faithfulness. He talks about Abraham and Sarah, but he even goes back further than that. He talks about the garden. Look at all this Genesis language there. Eden and the garden of the Lord. He makes our waste places to be like the garden of Eden. And this is redemption language, is it not? Buying back those things that were broken. He reminds us too that Abram was cut out of a rock. He wasn't literally cut out of a rock, but this the, the idea here is that Abram was just like any other there wasn't anything that made Abram special. He wasn't, I mean, he was similar to all other people in that he was an idol worshiper. And yet the Lord went to him and called him out of that. He didn't choose him because he was some special rock. He was just like all the other idol worshipers when God went to him and said, go to the place that I will show you. He continues to talk about his word in the form of his law going out. He draws a connection between his law going out and the coming of justice. Look at verses 4 through 6. Give attention to me, my people. Give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me. And I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. Notice what else he's going to correlate it with here. My salvation has gone out. And my arms will judge the peoples, the coastlands, hope for me, and for my arm they wait. So he connects these things with salvation, which again lines up with the rest of Scripture. The words of the Lord give life. The law of the Lord is a good thing. A lamp to our feet, a light to our path, something that we can hide in our hearts that we might not sin against God. So it would make sense that he would correlate his words with salvation and justice. Now this isn't to say that one can just simply keep the law in order to find salvation. We know that that's not true because we are sinful from birth. We need something to fix us. We need a Savior. But it's a picture of the way things were meant to be. Think back to the garden. What did Adam and Eve have to do? Or what would they get if they kept the law? Life. They would have had life everlasting. But what did they get when they broke it? Death. Surely you will die. The salvation of the Lord is about to bring His people back to the time when the garden was a reality. This pilgrimage of Israel back to Jerusalem is just a small picture of that. A small picture grabbing hold of the covenant promises, awaiting a time when they can worship God together again. But for us, we await a day when he will actually have us in his city. If you read in the Revelation about the the, the new Jerusalem, what's going to be in the midst of the new Jerusalem? There's going to be a garden. What is in the midst of the garden? It's going to be the tree of life. We're going to have these things again. He alludes to this even to the people in Isaiah's day. The heavens and the earth are going to pass away, he says, but salvation is forever. 
He tells them not to concern themselves with man. You see that in verses 7 and 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed by their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will eat them up like wool. And my righteousness will be forever. My salvation to all generations. Don't be concerned with man. They're going to pass away. Again, he draws us to focus on the things that won't. His covenant faithfulness, his promises to his people. And again, we come back to this idea, the expectation of what God will do in the future should profoundly affect what we do today in the present. Jeremiah was very plain in his commandments to the people concerning this same sort of idea. He was telling them, look, a lot of you are getting ready to go to Babylon. For 70 years. And so what should what should you do when you're in Babylon? I mean, I imagine being told that I'm going to be taken into exile for seven years. I'm not going to come out of exile. I don't have that many more years left on earth. And so what, what does that mean? What should I do when I'm in this city that I can't even worship the Lord? Well, he told them what they should do. Turn with me to Jeremiah 29. These are words from the Lord. They're getting ready to be sent into exile. This is what Jeremiah says they should do. Jeremiah 29, starting at verse 4, says this. Thus says says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Remember, they haven't even gone yet. This is a letter to them. Once you get here, you need to understand this. Read this. This is what you should do when you're in exile. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives. Have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city. Seek seek the welfare of the city of Babylon that you're going to in exile, these pagan people. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Pretty incredible. It should put into context our own lives on this earth. Imagine hearing you're going to be going into exile for 70 years. The vast majority, for, for, for almost everyone that hears this, they're never going to see Jerusalem again. So consider the promises that you have. What should you do? Fill the earth and multiply. Pray for the city that you're in. Do not be deceived. This is exactly what the Lord wants for you. I mean, we all know the last verse. 
right? That verse 11 that I read. Typically people read that when they're going through a difficult time and they think this isn't what the Lord wants for me. And they will read that verse. That's why it's on keychains and chocolate bars. They don't put verse 10 on chocolate bars. They probably wouldn't taste nearly as good. That you're going to be in exile for 70 years. Because why? Because I know the plans I have for you. And they're good. It's good. God has put us exactly where he has meant us to be. Even in a difficult time. And he doesn't call on us to rely on ourselves at all. Notice that. What's the, what's the goal? Remember the promises that I have for you. Remember my faithfulness. He calls for us to thrive where we are right now. Why? So that future generations, why would he have these people have children and have their children have children? So that future generations will know. Why did the future generations long to go back to Jerusalem? It wasn't because they were born there. It's because they heard about the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is on center stage here. It has nothing to do with our ability to endure. Because we can't. In Jeremiah's day, what happened? When, they, when, the, when the people realized they didn't think they were going to be able to endure on their own, false prophets arose to tell them that they weren't going into exile and everything's going to be okay. They lied. In Isaiah's day, they did the same thing. They lied. In our day, it's the same thing. These people lie. Why do they do it? Ultimately, because they realize that they can't endure on their own. They want everything to be easy and comfortable because we can't think of a world where we'd have to take comfort in anything except for the circumstances that we have created for ourselves. We want to take comfort in the things that we have gathered around us. But when we look around us, it's all dust. It's nothing. Here we are called to take comfort in the Lord. We are called to see his covenant faithfulness and to await his day. And not just awaiting the future day, like just kind of sitting idly and waiting for it to happen, but to claim his faithfulness today. I mean, look at verse 4 back in Isaiah 51. I, I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. The coastlands will hope in him. This wasn't just a promise for the Jews. It was a promise for anyone who would trust in him. And so hear that. Christians, our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Our hope is in Christ because all of this is pointing to him. Hope in anything else, hope in anyone else is a false hope. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, repent of your false hopes. Return to Him. He comforts us in our waste places and He will make our wilderness like Eden once again. And if you're an unbeliever here today, hear these words also because they're also for you. You totally get the idea of wilderness and waste places if you're being honest with yourself because that's all the world has to offer you is wilderness and waste places. If you don't believe in Jesus, you can't possibly understand the waste place that awaits you. Because he will have justice. He just said, he will have justice. 
He will seek out punishment for those who do not believe in Him, and He will have it. Call upon the name of the Lord. Be saved today. Be saved to a hope that doesn't disappoint. Be saved to a Savior that does endure. As Christians, we await that joy with expectation. Anyone can have that same joy with belief in Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the last point, the joy that awaits. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab into pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah here calls upon the Lord. He, he, we switch gears here and this is Isaiah talking to us or he's talking to the Lord. Awake. He's calling upon the Lord to go ahead and do these things that he said he's going to do. This may sound a little arrogant, but we have the same kind of thing from other, other writers in Scripture. makes me think particularly of John at the close of the book of Revelation. What does John pray? Lord Jesus, come quickly. He prays this because he doesn't want to be on the earth anymore. He wants to go home. It's not wrong to long for that at all. It's not, long, it's not wrong to want that. Isaiah knows that he's capable what he shows us as he goes through in verse 10 he talks about the time that the the red sea dried up that he made a highway for the redeemed to pass through and so he wants the same picture a highway that they can walk home that they can go home and that's the picture we have in verse 11 it's a picture of journey's end the redeemed of the lord entering into zion with song their sorrows and their sighing is disappearing we long for that day also don't we brothers and sisters in Christ. It's this longing that should bring us through. But not just to sit and wait and do nothing. But to live today as if these future promises are absolutely true. What did Jesus say as he preached the gospel? The kingdom of God is at hand. And so the question for you is, how are you living today as if what Jesus said is true? The kingdom of God is at hand. Do we live in despair or do we have hope? When we sing our songs, do we sing in sadness or do we sing with everlasting joy on our faces? The ransom of the Lord shall return. This is great news. This is the good news that we have. This is us, church, who have been ransomed. We've been purchased by God and the currency was the blood of his son, Jesus. We have been bought back. The joy that we have is awaiting us as we long to be with him again. And so in conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us live as if that is true. As we are walking on this earthly pilgrimage to heaven, let us keep our gaze on Jesus. But let us also fill the earth and multiply, praying for the welfare of this city, seeking to see the kingdom of God come to earth. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read these words, it would be easy to 
to seek comfort in the waste places and only want that to be the time where we're gone from here. Yes, we long to be with you. We long for your return to make all things right. But we know that you have us here according to your purpose, according to your wonderful plans. This is what you have for us. And so, Lord, while we are here, help us to fill the earth, to multiply by sharing the gospel, to seek the welfare of this city, not so that we might be glorified, but so that the name of Jesus Christ, the only name that saves, might be glorified in all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please stand with me now as we sing our response to God's word.